You're listening to GP Works, the podcast for and about general practice from the Irish College of General Practitioners. I'm Aileen O'Mara, and in this episode, I'm talking to the college's new president, Dr. Eamon Shanahan, who's joining us remotely from his practice in Farn 4 in lovely Senec Kerry. Welcome to GP Works, Eamon. Aileen, how are you doing? Lovely to see you and lovely to hear from you. Eamon, for most people in the GP community here in Ireland, you're a well-known face and a well-known name. But let's go briefly back over your career uh, in general practice. Your father was a GP, wasn't he? He was indeed. And in fact, my grandfather was a GP as well. So we've been in Farn 4 for just over a century at this stage. Um, my grandfather took up his appointment in 1921. He practiced until he passed away in 1954. My dad took over at that stage. And he actually worked on until 2003. I came back to Farn 4 in 1986 and um, I, my dad officially retired in, in 1996 but didn't actually stop working until he was age 77. And it's not something I planned to do myself but that's the backstory. So the Shanahans have been in, in practice in, in the Farn 4 area for quite a long time. And indeed there's a fourth generation because my daughter is a GP as well but she works on an art inner city. She's working in uh, Summerhill. What attracted you to general practice? Okay, the the story there is that the obvious one would be, well, my dad was GP and my grandfather was GP. Why wouldn't I do general practice as well? <clears throat> and the answer is, is that I wanted to keep the mind, uh, my options open. And indeed, going through college, uh, psychiatry was of interest to me, dealing with people and so on and so forth. But the, the real game-changing uh, moment for me was the week I spent with Professor, then doctor, but now Professor Bill Shannon in his practice in Bishopstown. And having spent just a week attached to Bill, um, I said, that's it. That's what I want to do. I want to be a GP. And certainly Bill has been a mentor uh, and, very, and very much something that I have always aspired to try to emulate. I know that you've modernised the practice a lot yourself uh, since you took it over. Uh, tell, describe that to me. Okay, so I suppose to a certain extent it goes back even further because uh, my father and a vet locally, Dave Lockton and Castle Island, were probably the first two people in the county to have radio telephones. So in 1958, they had radio telephones. Then move on to 1980, my father uh, got a computer um, a, a predecessor of the uh, Mac and the PC and all the rest of it and my youngest brother and he put together a software program um, and they this ran for a number of years and then it died and we used something else. I suppose the big change for us is, is that where my father was working from the front of his house as so many GPs would have been uh, in 1996 uh, my wife and I built a purpose-built um, a medical centre uh, near to my parents' house and that's where we've been since and we have kind of, we have been investing in the practice ever since, um, including right now. And in fact, what we've done in the last uh, six months is we've put in uh, air to water, heat exchangers and solar panels and that kind of stuff. We're constantly revamping our hardware. And people who know me, there's, I wear various hats and I've been involved in IT. And certainly I make sure that the IT side of the practice is up to speed. Describe the practice to somebody who hasn't seen it. As you say, it's purpose built. How many people are in it? How many doctors do you have? Okay, so I'm one of uh, four partners. Um, we are a training practice. Uh, we have a registrar. Um, we have been involved in teaching University of Limerick uh, graduate entry medical students as well. Um, we have two nurses, a phlebotomist, 
um, administrator, two part-time secretaries, two part-time receptionists, um, a telephonist. And then attached to the practice, we have a HSE counsellor. Um, we had a HSE dietitian working out of the practice, uh, but we, and she's now working out of a HSC premises we still a close relationship with her and indeed uh, once a month or so uh, a diabetic nurse specialist calls for the practice so you know there's a lot of moving parts in that there are lots of people coming over oh and I forgot to say we have uh, both a HSC and a private uh, counsellor in the practice as well That's quite a complex operation you have there isn't it? What kind of catchment area do you have? Um <laughs> That's an interesting one. So I suppose the, the geography of the practice is, so for people who might know, Farn 4 is about halfway between Tree and Killarney, we're about 10 miles or 16 kilometres from each town. And the practice would extend towards Killarney and towards Tralee. But we're kind of a sort of a squashed oblong because um, my grandfather would have come from Castle Island and quite a number of our patients still come to us from Castle Island and the hinterland beyond Castle Island out towards the villages of Skartic Lane and out to Brosna. And in the other direction, we go both north and south of the Ding- of Dingle Bay. So we go practically as far as Inch Beach and head down towards Killarglen. Um, so I think our the farthest patients away who are hugely loyal are about 24 miles from the practice. So they've quite a round trip if they come when they call to visit. That's quite a hinterland you have there, all right. Yeah. So your your obviously your patients are both young and old and families and that is oh, a particular yeah. type of patient you have there. Again, it's we are a rural practice, um, and it's it's mostly the rural patients we see. I mean, we have patients who come from town, and um, and and we see the kind of particular specific issues you see related to uh, urban practice. But we're predominantly a rural practice, and uh, the thing is, is that it's very much family medicine because, again, of the particular situation, my own particular situation. I mean, we're certainly looking after people through the whole span of their lives from birth through full of life and on to death and we've looked at we've we've seen people in and we've seen people out but the, if you look at the demographics of the practice we actually have a fairly even spread again the thing is I'm the senior partner I've three of the partners with me who age and range down to their 30s so that then attracts the full spectrum of young mothers young children adults older people and so on and so forth and there's a fairly even spread uh, of all ages and all genders so, as you say, it's a rural practice, and yes. rural general practice faces quite a lot of challenges that maybe city practices don't don't face, like attracting new GPs and that. Yeah, tell me about that. I was I was going to say yes and no because I think, think the thing is there are problems in in many parts of the country, and I I think we're looking at both the urban remote, sorry, rural remote, but also urban deprived areas, and there's there are similar kind of problems in both places, even though the patient populations are different. Bottom line is, is, is again, it's recruitment. I mean, the reality is, is that um, we're looking at a, 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 a change and it's um, a generational rather than a gender change. And what I mean to say about that is, is that quite rightly, people are saying, looking at what we would have done in decades gone by, and our predecessors say, no, we're not going to do that kind of stuff. So the kind of single-handed practice, single-handed one-on-one roles are just not acceptable anymore. And people are looking for a good quality of life and they're looking for a good uh, work-life balance. So the reality is, is that you're looking at groupings of GPs. Now, I know this is a subject some of my colleagues feel very strongly about um, and they differentiate between single-handed and uh, single-person practices, if you like. Um, but at the same time, the reality is, is that you're trying to att- attract people to these areas uh, we do need to look at um, uh, su- our supply, our workforce supply. And right now, this minute, as everybody's aware, we're not currently producing enough general practitioners to meet our needs. And certainly as a college, we're looking at 
all the different ways in which we can increase those numbers. But I also believe strongly that we should look at task shifting. Uh, so what I mean by that is, do we as general practitioners have to do every single thing that traditionally GPs have done in the past? And the answer, of course, not. I think the thing is that we need to find the individuals around us who can provide a, a service or do a task that they can do just as equally well as we can, but are able to do it that so that we free up time for other things and other people. I mean, the classic example in my case would be, uh, God bless my nurses, they do, they've been doing vaccinations. I'm passionate about vaccinations. I, I really believe that we need to immunise, 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 but I don't do any vaccinations myself. The nurses do that. And likewise, we recently employed a phlebotomist. So I haven't done phlebotomy in years. I could still do blood if I had to, but the reality is, is that a phlebotomist is much more efficient at doing that. And these are the kind of examples. Our nurses, of course, are absolutely amazing. When it comes to things like chronic disease management, wound care, routine care and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there are lots of things and there are other people besides that we could be looking at to employ. So I think it's a question of looking at how do we deal with the issues? How do we look at the increased workload? Um, and that is a separate subject in the sense that I also have strong views about the subject of overdiagnosis and overtreatment, um, but uh, looking at how we cope with the pressures that are there. We're, 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 our practice hasn't changed in size. In fact, we probably are slightly smaller, but the, uh, the, the attendance per patient per year has increased. So we're certainly seeing people a lot more often. So there's a greater role, as you say, for practice nurses, for maybe, you know, GP assistants, for yeah. phlebotomists. Yeah. So general practice will change. Certainly it's already changing quite a lot. I agree. What about a dedicated, you know, department of rural general practice, and for example, university yeah. in Cork or yeah. UL? Do you think that would make a difference? Yeah, I, again, I think the, the OK, as I said, I, I have been associated with the University of Limerick for the last 10 or 12 years. I, I recently retired from that particular role. But the point is, is that the University of Limerick has their particular model, their longitudinal placement in general practice. And so we would have had students coming to us for 18 weeks for a whole semester. And the thing is, is that there's no doubt and it's extraordinary looking at uh, these young people developing over the course of the 18 weeks. But the thing is, is that because they've spent 18 weeks in general practice, it's far, far more likely that they will actually want to do a, spend the rest of their career in general practice. Um, it, it is uh, my own alma mater, UCC, has been struggling with this for some time. And indeed, the other universities, to the best of my knowledge, that the, the issue is that the students are not getting the kind of exposure to general practice that they would have been getting uh, in University of Limerick. So yes, having a department of rural general practice would be ideal. But I think that the uh, uh, Association of University Departments of General Practice and Ireland are looking at how we increase the number of graduates coming through, but also then how do we direct them and what are the ways in which we help direct people towards general practice if that's what they're interested in doing. Now, we've been talking about rural general practice a lot, but actually the, the workforce crisis, you know, is not just in rural Ireland. It's now in urban Ireland as well. And GPs all over the country practices finding it difficult to replace people retiring and getting new people because the demand is continuing to grow. Now, the minister has announced you know, a significant increase in training places yeah. like the 350 a year next year. That's easier said than done, though, isn't it? Very much so. I mean, we were on a trajectory looking at to gradually get to 350 by 2026. And the minister has very specifically asked that we try and get to that by 2024. So um, the senior management team in the ACGP, um, led by the CEO of Fintan Foy, but also all the other members, and especially Martin Rose, who's our National Director of Training, are, being, are in discussion uh, with all the uh, schemes around the country, seeing what they can do to take on extra trainees. 
Um, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a, it's going to be an issue. I will we be able to get there? I don't know. But I think to be fair, we are committed to doing our damnedest to try to get to the three fifty because quite quite simply, our members are looking for it. We are a membership organisation, and our members are every day looking for the locums for their replacements and so on and so forth. Um, one of my, I remember distinctly before the uh, local scheme was set up, uh, GP in the stole, Dr. Billy O'Connor, uh, who recently retired. I remember Billy asking quite pointedly at where will our replacements come from? And that was like 20 years ago. And he was absolutely right. And it still is the case today. So there's a job of work to be done there. Well, some of the replacements are coming from outside the EU, aren't yeah, they? I mean, absolutely. that's a very interesting initiative, the non-EU programme. It is. I mean, the thing about it is, is that what we're looking for are GPs who are fit for purpose. Now, the reality is, is that um, even if we produce, even if we are producing the 350 trainees per year, in the medium term, that's not going to meet, in the short and medium term, it's not going to meet our uh, workforce requirements. Through, uh, uh, and so uh, we are looking to recruit from outside the European Union. And I think the thing is, is that it's about making sure that the GPs who are coming to us from other jurisdictions, we ensure that their training is such and that they pass the exams so that they can get their memberships of the Irish College, so that they can get on the specialist register and then in turn will be entitled or would be available, or they would be able to avail of rather a state contract because that's where they get stuck is that right now it's a lesser specialist contract, a specialist registered, they can't get a, a state contract. So that needs to be resolved. So it's right and proper that that uh, they that yes, they are helping us, but also it's important that they would uh, be fit for purpose, that they have the appropriate training and have been quality checked to make sure that they are uh, able to hold their own with every other GP so is that we have a good effective workforce and ideally then spread across <clears throat> across the whole country. So that's one of the initiatives and you to say practice nurses is another one but will the practice nurses one run up against um, issues in relation to contracts and maternity leave and that? Is that an IMO matter do you think? That's very much an IMO matter. I think there's something that the IMO will be looking at and will we'll be dealing with. Um, I'm aware of the fact of course that the GMS does provide some degree of subvention towards the, towards the cost of having a practice nurse although I long argue the practice nurses are more than capable of um, covering their own uh, expenses in terms of the, the, the income they generate for the practice. And this is a complex issue, but it's an industrial relations issue and something that I think needs to be sorted out by the, the IMO. I know that this is something they are aware of. Um, and this is going to be the thing we're going to, I mean, as as a as an educational body, the ICGB have said we need to double the number of, of practice nurses we have in the country. Uh, we've currently got something like 17, 1800. We probably need to have near around 4,000 practice nurses across the country. But we also need to make it attractive for them to work in general practice. So that's an issue that needs to be dealt with, but that's something for our colleagues in the IMO. Eamon, you've also been a radio doctor on your local station, yeah, Radio yeah. Kerry, for what is it? 30 years, is that right? 1991, I think, is when Radio Kerry started. Uh, so whatever the math is. I mean, I know that uh, Dan Collins, who I think most people in RT would probably be aware of, Dan was in RT for years and years. He was That's the right. first station manager. And I remember sometime in the first six months or so, he approached me and uh, Dr. Dave Buckley and Tralee, whom a lot of people will know through his dermatology uh, work, uh, to see would be interested. Now, I mean, I know that there was a bit of suspicion amongst the colleagues at the time and it wasn't kind of the done thing to be talking on the radio. But at this stage, I think most of the colleagues have kind of said, actually, keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, and, and the guess thing is for me is, is that throughout the county, then throughout County Kerry and perhaps beyond, uh, uh, from time to time, not infrequently, I run across a situation that, you know, getting groceries in the shop or somewhere and they say, oh, is that you, Dr. Shanahan? Now I know what you look like. 
because they know your voice. Yeah, they, do. <laughs> they, they don't see you. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. do you think it has an impact being being a radio doctor or having a radio doctor? Well, for radio? me, it's all about communication. Um, I mean, I think uh, one of the things I strive very hard to do is to to empower patients. They are our partners, uh, and I've always seen them as an equal partner in their own care. Uh, the uh, uh, the enlightened patient, the patient who is in a position to provide to be involved in their own decision making. So shared decision shared decision making is a thing. And it really, really means something. But for people to be able to share in the decision making, they need to have an understanding. Now, the reality is, is that every profession has their own jargon. And God help us, we in the medical profession can lose people very rapidly with our own jargon. So I deliberately aim. People are not stupid. They're far from stupid. But what they do need is they do need people to talk to them in a language that they understand. And that's what I very much strive to do. So I see uh, the work that I do, the, what I do in the, on the radio, as something just to try to uh, enlighten and educate people and point people in the direction of how they can help themselves. Eamon, uh, the college is going to be 40 years old next year and hopefully we'll be celebrating it at Wonka yeah. Europe in September yeah. uh, in Dublin. What do you think has been the legacy of the founders of the college? Yeah, if you look at the Michael Bolands and uh, the others who were there at the very start, I mean, I think the 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 the, the main thing is is that we have become a very professional organisation, and that really came to the fore during COVID. Um, um, we've we've been very fortunate in that we've had very far-seeing chief executive officers, officers. Um, and the thing is, is that they've had a strategic vision, but also we've moved from the uh, very much pioneers that were there at the start and volunteers and all the rest of it. Now it's a very professional organisation. It's all about standards and um, things like we have recently in the last couple of months established a GP training academic council, which will be a standard setting body for all GP training in Ireland that can hold its own with any other academic body. Um, and that's really a testament. But also I think the fact that the organisation separately then, I keep saying it's a membership organisation and if you look at the amount of contacts that individual and GPs have with the, with the college, uh, there are literally tens of thousands of contacts and um, so many different ways in which the ICGP helps. And in fact, if you look at the kind of work that, say, for example, Dermot Quindle and his colleagues, Dermot as the uh, medical director and his colleagues, uh, all the clinical leads, if you look at the amount of work they're doing, it's enormous and there's a huge amount of practice of the, the QRGs, the quick reference guides, uh, the representation the college makes. There's a huge, huge, huge amount of work that the college does. And that's been the, that's been the, the legacy for the, um, uh, for the ACGP. I think the thing is, if you look back to the Blue Book, and the vast majority of GPs will have no idea what the Blue Book is, but the Blue Book was an aspirational document that the founders wrote. And this goes back to the very start of the college. If we look at what they were, what their vision for general practice was, a lot of what they had hoped for has actually come to pass. So, you know, they were visionary in their own way. Very good. And we'll see, hopefully see some of that in, in the coming year. And particularly, uh, and just to give it a plug, that the uh, the college will be hosting uh, Wonky Europe in Dublin next September. It'll be very important. You'll be there, I'm sure, with your with your chain of office and uh, there as uh, as one of the leaders yeah, of the college. Yeah. yeah. Thanks very much, Eamon, for joining me on this episode of GP Works. It's been very much of a pleasure and thank you very much indeed, Aileen, for having a with me. Remember, we have new episodes regularly and lots to listen back to on our channel, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow the college on Twitter at ICGP News and find out more about the Irish College of General Practitioners on the website icgp.ie. I'm Aileen O'Mara and thanks for listening.